Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are now live. So many thoughts, so little time. Beautiful day. It's been beautiful where I am for a long time. It's, I, it's been uh, rainy. Uh, April was rainy, but uh, the last few days, man, I, I am staring, just so people know who listen to this podcast, right outside. Uh, I have a window right in front of me so I can see right outside. And so uh, one of the reasons I usually open up with what the weather's like, because I'm looking at it. And, it, and it's just spectacular today. Uh, had a little rain over the weekend. Let me tell you about my weekend real quick, because it plays into the subject for the podcast today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the anti-woke split, for lack of a better term. The coalition that was built in 2020, especially uh, among anti-woke forces, is now being split. And I think one of the things that happened over the weekend that was very telling uh, is the the issue that seems to be a focal point for this split, maybe an occasion for the split rather than the cause of it, but who knows, maybe it's partially the cause. And that that would be homosexuality and uh, how to um, think of homosexuality in a legal sense. And uh, and, and so this, this is going on, but in re- <laughs> I was surrounded by this issue uh, this very weekend. And on a personal level, not, not looking at Twitter, not online, not reading the news, just in my own life. Um, it started on Friday. Friday, I went to a graduation for my uh, my my brother's uh, soon-to-be wife, and she graduated from law school at a, at a, a, a prominent law school in my state. And uh, and so I was there uh, for all morning for this graduation ceremony. And the I, I knew going into it, since it's a law school, it's in New York, it's probably going to be we're, we're going to have some leftist stuff pushed in our faces. I didn't realize to what extent that was going to happen. Uh, the speaker for this particular event was a lawyer by the name of Roberta Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan. You can look her up on Google. And um, she the only thing religious really about the ceremony in total was she quoted a rabbi a few times and it wasn't even about it wasn't even about anything related to the bible or god it was just the you know, little kernels of wisdom supposedly i don't know how wise they were but uh th- that was it her speech was pretty much this i fought for homosexuality to be normalized i was in the closet for years now i can come out as a lesbian 
And isn't that great that the world's changed? Uh, it's sexist in the legal profession still, even though most of the lawyers I saw graduate were, were women, but the majority at least. Uh, anyway, she said that the it, it's sexist and uh, it was worse when she was younger. So the world's changing in a positive direction, but we have so far to go. And anti-racism needs to be uh, also focused on. And as lawyers, people may not like you. They may think that you're a hired gun, uh, there, there's a reputation lawyers seem to have. Don't let that get to you because you have power. You have power to go change the world for equity, inclusion, diversity, that kind of thing. It was totally a speech to promote social justice, to promote the young budding lawyers who are just graduating, giving them the marching orders to go and become activists. That's really what it was. And it, I mean, Maybe this sounds too epic, but I felt a little bit like, OK, like we're we're going to I'm, I'm traveling into um, Mordor or something someplace. Um, I was thinking of do I go with Star Wars or do I go with Lord of the Rings? We'll go with Lord of the Rings. You're traveling into Mordor and you're seeing the orcs get their marching orders. It's a little bit like that. Like we're, I'm in real time. I'm looking at the people that are graduating. And I'm thinking, OK, some of these people are going to be the ones to further divide well not just divide they're going to be the ones to further get rid of attack rip down the establishment that was here before that protected religious liberty and so many of the freedoms we hold dear i don't know how else to see it and and of course, uh, it wasn't just that issue. Uh, she was talking about how um, her other successes, most notably recently, uh, she represented E. Jean Carroll against President Trump. So that gives you an idea of who this person is. And she's just extolled from the stage by the president of this particular law school. And uh, and, and so anyway, that I mean, it was a beautiful day. It was, you know, a nice, nice graduation weather and uh, had a good meal afterward and all that. But uh it just it sobered me up a little. Not that I didn't know that this was happening, but I'm, it's just right right there in front of me. And uh, and then the next day. So so yesterday was my anniversary uh, with my wife. We've been married seven years. Uh, Saturday, we uh, it was rainy. Actually, it was one of the few days that's been rainy and we were going to go out kayaking and stuff. We actually did that yesterday. So we uh, so, so on Saturday, I said, well, what, what can we do? So we decided to go to a a museum for I get well it's the home of one of the most prominent artists in uh really American history I suppose uh part of the um uh Catskill River not Catskill Hudson Valley River School of Painting um now I'm now I'm blanking on his name for some odd reason which is like ridiculous because I've been reading about him the last few days let me just look him up real quick I want to say John Burroughs, but it's not John Burroughs because that's that's another uh, that's a figure by me um, who was a naturalist. But th th this individual was also they call him an environmentalist, but he wasn't. He was a conservationist. Thomas Cole. That's his name. Thomas Cole. OK, there we go. Went to Thomas Cole's house and I had never been there. I didn't know a lot about Thomas Cole. I knew about some of his paintings. We actually have one hanging in my house. And uh, and it was fascinating. We bought a bunch of his books. Like I said, I've been reading about him now the last two days, reading his journal. And um, I'm convinced this guy was a committed Christian. And it, it's just and also he was a Whig, uh, part of the Whig Party. He was generally he's pretty conservative, certainly a conservationist. 
And I, I think someone that I really want to get to know more. Uh, it, I just thought, man, why, how come I haven't uh, heard about this guy? Um, kind of like Washington Irving is to literature. He is to painting in the Hudson Valley region of New York. And anyway, um, we're there at this Thomas Cole house and it's beautiful poetry. He used to paint and you see beautiful paintings, just magnificent. I could talk about that the rest of the podcast. I don't want to uh, just because we have other things to get to. But interspersed in the house where they had his painting set up was another exhibit. And, and, and this is the thing. It wasn't a separate exhibit. It wasn't like, OK, we're going to do a traveling exhibit, which happens at a lot of museums. And, and we're going to have another room where we just reserve it for traveling exhibits. And sometimes there will be paintings in there. Sometimes it'll be sculptures. It'll be different artists, whatever. It wasn't that. It was throughout the home where you would see a Thomas Cole painting, a beautiful painting right next to it would be something like a rudimentary colored map of the United States that an eighth year, an eight year old could have done that says like USA KKK or something like that. Uh, stolen land, right? All these social justice messages. And, and Thomas Cole loved the, loved the United States. He loved America. It's obvious in, in his, his uh, writings. And yet they've decided to put really just vulgar, um, just vulgar pieces of art next to his. It, it, it really was embarrassing. Uh, there were crates they had on his porch um, that were, it, it was supposed to be a commentary on American capitalism and consumerism and these kinds of things. And they put junk in them and you, you can go look into the crate and see junk. And that's supposed to be art. And this was all a, I don't know, I guess fem it was supposed to be recentering women. So it was a feminist kind of exhibit, but the recentering meant we're going to go to the prominent places in Thomas Cole's house, including his bedroom. And we're going to put all this modern artwork that he never would have approved of. That's recentering. Okay. So that happened on Saturday. Now there's a lot of positive things that happened in my life on Saturday and Friday and Sunday. So um, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but these, these particular negative things relate to what we're going to talk about today. And I just thought, you know, this is everywhere. This is just everywhere. I can't get away from it no matter where I go. I mean, this is just an, he, he's a painter. <laughs> That's what he's known for. I can't even get away from it. And of course, the, the uh, person that was giving the tour just kept going on about um, the slaves that would have been at the house, and which, which is fine to talk about. I don't have any problem with that. I think you probably should talk about uh, the people who live there besides uh, besides the the you know prominent individuals, but it, it was ridiculous. It was it was like we don't really have any information about them, but let's speculate for a while and spend just as much time on that, you know, almost as we do on Thomas Cole. It's it's a little weird. I'm not gonna lie. It's a little strange to me. Uh, the people who are there are there to admire the paintings of a prominent 19th century artist, and they want to know what he thought. And they're given all this other messaging. And it, it, it really takes the wind out of your sails. You, you just feel like, hey, I don't even want to like it's, it's it, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read a book. I'll go learn about this guy some other place, because if I go to his house, it's been taken over by social justice activists. And it's like every it's just a historical field in general, like ninety nine percent of those graduating with history degrees. They're activists. Lawyers are graduating. They're, they're activists. It's it's that that's just what's happening right now out there uh, in the real world. So um, I want to get to uh, the, um, uh, the the main subject here, and I'm going to connect this. But uh, we, we do have someone. Oh, they just left the chat. I was going to say 
uh jay if you want to come on the the podcast jay, uh any any patron is allowed to come on the podcast just go to patreon and the link is there uh you can come on uh in but um since he just left i'm gonna i'm just gonna keep going so anyway i i see all of this over the weekend and it's pretty quiet on social media for the most part i mean i'm not even on there a whole lot and then what happens is sunday night things start blowing up i i look on uh i, I get on signal uh and I see in some of the chats I'm in, there's just like tons of messages. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And, and then I saw what was going on. So I'm going to bring you through some of that because it directly relates. What we're going to talk about is the split that's happening right now. This is, you need to understand something. And, and I, I understand this can be confusing for some, but let me try to be as clear as I possibly can. The debate right now is not over the term Christian nationalism so much. I'm not saying that's not a debate, but that's not the root issue here. Um, I have been uncomfortable with that term. I've described why I've been uncomfortable with that term. I've uh, talked about how leftists have used that term a hundred years ago. I've, so I, I've been critical of the term. Okay. We, we, but that's not what's going on right now. It's not the term. Um, it's, it's the ideas behind those who want to positively use it. Who wants to positively use that term? Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, most prominently, um, Al Mohler does, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Stephen Wolf obviously does. Um, there's, man, I'm trying to think who's prominent, who's used this. I mean, I don't even know if General Michael Flynn has used the term. People will include him as part of that, but I don't know if he's actually used the term. Bodie Bauckham's used the term. Uh, Tom Askell, I believe, has used the term. William Wolf. Uh, so it, it's, I mean, there, there's some more prominent people in this and there's some less prominent people uh i would say different people play different parts of course william or uh, stephen wolf is playing the part of the philosopher who's trying to describe uh who's trying to take this term and use it positively and what is what, what do all these people though have in common what are they all trying to do andrew torba another name what are they all trying to do what if you tried to find the commonality between all of them what they're really trying to do is say that Christianity, we should self-consciously think of ourselves as a Christian country or Christian people, uh, whether that's in regions or or the country as a whole. Uh, we, we should think of ourselves in that way. And if we think of ourselves in that way as self-identified Christian, not that everyone's born again, they're very clear, they're very careful to say that, but as influenced by these Christian understandings, Christian uh, traditions, Christian forms, then that should make its way into our laws. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should be okay with and actually even promote Christianity in the public square, in in not just laws, but in social mores and those kinds of things. And so, and so people freak out when they hear this, even in a very measured, very uh, non-specific way, very general way, people freak out and think, well, you just want to, you know, Baptists think uh, I've seen things from Baptists saying like, well, you know, the Presbyterians get in charge. They're going to kill all of us and that kind of thing. Or they're going to put us in prison or and they're the blasphemy laws. It's going to anyone who takes the Lord's name in vain is going to be thrown into prison. Uh, homosexuals are going to be they're going to be given the death penalty and all. And they jump to all these things. Right. If you just say that. And, and the assumption behind that. And I've said this before. And I, and I think, unfortunately, what I said early on about this, which is it's a debate. It's not even a debate over Christian nationalism or Christian culture or Christian dumb. It's a debate over principle pluralism. I think that has now been 
mostly proven that that's exactly what's going on. The debate isn't even over that. It's it's over pluralism. It's over. We, we're in this transitionary period where we've been going from Christian to pagan. And in the in, in between, there is this idea that we, we could have a pluralistic liberal order of some kind in which everyone's going to be respected because we'll value individual rights. And then everyone's going to play by those rules. And that is coming to an end. And that, that's really what the woke stuff, uh, if you look, given the, given the long view of history, if you look at it, that's what you're going to see. This is the end of the Christian order, of a natural law even being respected and understood. It's the end of that. It's the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of a pagan order. We're still in the transition, but where we, we've turned a corner. And that has created a movement of anti-woke, anti-social justice co-belligerents who are loosely connected in that they don't like the, the newest innovation that the left, the secular, now pagan left, is foisting on us. But we're, they're not united. They're not united about the positive vision they want. And when it comes time to craft the positive vision, okay, we, don't like, we know we don't like that. But what do we do? We have splits. The splits being things like, should we go back to 1960 or should we go back to 1990? Uh, should we go back to uh, 2015 post Obergefell, but forget about the trans nonsense? Or do we go back to earlier than 2015 where uh, same-sex marriage is illegal uh, in, uh, in many of the states? And um, what do we do about that whole issue? It, and so this is where you see a lot of people who are who are on the left. And I've said this about James Lindsay being one of the, the most notable examples, but there's many. Um, I, I would say most of the people who work for probably and not all, not all, but a lot of the people who work for like the blaze for a lot of the conservative Inc. Daily Wire, a lot of the, not all again, but but a lot, uh, a lot of people who work for like Prager U, including Dennis Prager himself. They are they, they actually, in my view. Um, and it's not just my view personally, but I'm just saying if you take a long range, if you look Edmund Burke to the present, OK, they would be on the left more so. Now, they're they're way more conservative. I mean, J John F. Kennedy would be on the left today. They'd be way more conservative than anyone in the Democratic Party, many of them. But but they would be they, 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 when it comes to crafting a positive vision there. There's going to be discrepancy between many of these people there. It, between them themselves, I mean, I th I'm sure Dennis Prager and James Lindsay don't agree on everything, but also between them and um, those who are calling themselves now Christian nationalists or those who want a reinvigoration of Christianity. Uh, those people tend to be much more traditional conservative. They want to go back to something that is much earlier. Many of them want to go back to uh, you know, pre-Civil War conditions. In, in, in some ways, not all social, not, not, not in every way, but uh, some of them are even critical about um, universal suffrage and these kinds of things, which again, the founders, they, they, a lot of their ideas are very in keeping with what the founders would have thought. It's not like they're not American or something, and other their American identity has been called into question, but you know, George Washington would not have been about universal suffrage. George Washington, he just didn't come from a time like that. It wouldn't have been a thought. Um, so anyway, uh, there's a lot of splits happening and, and that's why they're happening. We, we have trouble crafting a positive vision, but that's okay. And I, and I, I've tried to make this point that that's, that's okay. We, we can work together towards common enemies because right now, given what I saw over the weekend, given what's happening in every field, uh, realistically, except for maybe some rural community somewhere, where are you going to have a very vigorous, aggressive, 
self-aware government that's self-aware that they're Christian, that they should be governing Christianly at least. Not that they're saved, again, making distinctions here, but that they should be operating according to Christ's laws or something. You're not going to. It, it, we're a far way off from that. So right now it's it's like the just creating the blueprints of the house that would be nice to build, but we haven't even lifted a hammer yet, hardly at all. That's where that's where the debate is right now. And it seems a little ridiculous. It seems like, OK, if you want to go build a house over there, you can go do that. That that's you know, we know we don't want to be in. We, we know we don't want that that house, <laughs> that woke house. So if you want to go build one, I'll build one over here. Let's not bother each other. But that doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, it, it's um, or I, I guess I could say, you know, you, you go work on this end because we agree on on this this part of the the blueprint. But you know, let's let's kick the can down the road a little and let's wait till we figure out some of these other questions. That's not happening either. It's it's war. And so we're splitting ourselves up even more. And it just it, it seems a little bit silly. Um, but um, it, it is important to talk about. It is important to cover because. This is going to determine how we operate in the social and political sphere for, I think, years to come. What happens in the next but really, really leading up to this next presidential election, it's going to set a lot of things in stone and uh and and basic questions about what role does christianity even have to play at all in civil discourse uh we're, we're down to that now so uh i'm going to show you some of the things that i saw on sunday night and let's get to some of the comments here though um montana viking says that makes sense many splits over the solution probably a dozen yeah they're probably more than that to be honest with you uh yeah, and uh, Velvet um, Stitching says every publicly funded historical site is losing sight of our national history and shaming Americans for being patriotic or for loving our nation. Yeah, it's true. There's, there's just no doubt about it. I saw this first. It seems like the low hanging fruit was Civil War stuff. And I saw it first uh, probably 10 years ago or more. It's, it's been creeping in for like 15 years in a lot of the battlefields. And I just I remember battlefields that I had once gone to. Um, changing their displays. And I, you would go and you'd have to, usually it's initially, and it's almost any Civil War battlefield, you have to go through a, a whole long discussion about um, slavery and, and all of it framed in a very uh, neo-abolitionist way. And uh, before you even get to the details of the battle or what happened there. so And it didn't used to be that way. Now, some people think that's great. That's great. Well, that was the beginning of... <laughs> of now all of history. It doesn't matter what historical event you're visiting. It's going to be reframed somehow. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's just how it is. Um, okay. So, so, so now that you're all discouraged <laughs> or you're, Hey, the universities are against us. The law schools are against us. What do we do? Um, I'm, I'm going to show you a little bit about what's going on in the social discourse. So I created this little slideshow. As you can see, um, I will I'll try to remember to put this on Patreon for the patrons out there. You'll have access to it. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. James Lindsay had put this out there. James Lindsay, of course, build, built his platform on being anti-woke. And he put this this tweet out there uh, with a picture. Has a individual uh, drifting or sinking in the water. And it says LGB. That's the individual, and they're being sunk by T and Q. <laughs> so that's what's happening. And so 
you know, what, what is he trying to show there? He's saying, well, you know, there's an acceptability to LGB, but TQ, that's the problem. Okay. Now I'd like to suggest something here. Uh, I'm going to show you um, in a moment, the Hegelian dialectic argument that Lindsay's trying to make. I'd like to suggest to you that Lindsay is the synthesis of the Hegelian dialectic here. He's, you have the thesis antithesis, right? Thesis, I would say being the, the LGBTQ plus all of that, right? It's all pretty recent. And then the antithesis being Christianity. And in between, you have the synthesis. What's the synthesis that is moving the needle towards more normalization and acceptance of uh, sexual perversion? Well, it is clearly those who want to say that homosexuality is fine, but not the transgender stuff. They want to they draw a line where philosophically they, they don't really have a justification for drawing these lines. Uh, the, the, it's, it's not going to hold. And that, that is the synthesis. That is uh, who are the people that are pushing the Hegelian dialectic, if you want to use that term, but they're, they're uh, pushing the needle towards the left ever so progressively with two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. It's people like James Lindsay. I don't think that should be controversial. And I don't have any ill will towards a guy because I'm saying that I'm not, I just disagree with them on that. Uh, I, I think that he's part of the change, the progressive change. Now, um, I had pointed out that he said this was last week. Uh, there was a whole exchange he, he had with Nate Fisher that I thought was really interesting um, where he says individual liberty. I'm just going to read one part of it. Individual liberty with inalienable rights secured by a limited state that governs with our consent in order to secure those rights is not ambiguous. And he's responding to Nate Fisher, who says uh, that James Lindsay is good at critiquing some prominent strands of leftism, but he lacks a strong vision for an alternative we should aspire to. It's exactly what I'm saying about the, the building the positive vision. And Nate F Fisher asks, you know, so w what is the scope of these inalienable rights regarding homosexuality? What do you believe the Constitution requires? And he's asking specifically, do you believe Lawrence versus Texas was correctly decided, which it was not? Lawrence versus Texas is a terrible example of jurisprudence. Uh, and and so and, and that struck down effectively the and the laws that were in place against sodomy. That criminalized it, um, made it a felony, that kind of thing. So Nate's asking this, and you know, th this is—it just gets ridiculous. And and, and I'm not going to get into the. Some of this is just beneath even the discourse I want to bring to this podcast. But it, it just—and you have someone like Local Distance, who claims to be a Christian, coming in on this and uh, taking basically uh, taking the side of James Lindsay, which. And, and I have I've wanted to be gracious with this, by the way, I've I've not wanted to. I've been reluctant to go after fellow Christians, and there's a number of them I left out of this. But there are a number of Christians, some of whom I, be, I even respect, who have been taking James Lindsay's side on this and saying things like insinuating or saying clearly that the Constitution the, and the inalienable rights and the founding fathers would have wanted this individual freedom, meaning the freedom to be homosexual and, and and even maybe homo I don't know they're not really defining it but I'm assuming homosexual marriage is part of this and and have and, and not doing anything about that guys historically that's nuts <laughs> I'm just telling you that's nuts that um, I don't know what some people are calling that a boomer con mentality I don't know what that is okay it's ignorant but it's it is the attempt to to paint the founders and the, the those who crafted the constitution as somehow being that they would be okay with Obergefell, that they would be okay with all the anti-sodomy laws being overturned. Some of them would have wanted, I'm sure, uh, to see them 
change. Like, for instance, Thomas Jefferson wanted uh, castration to be the penalty for sodomy uh, instead of, uh, I, I think it was the death penalty, right? So, I mean, hey, I guess he was a champion of LGBTQ, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, to paint these guys as they would have, they would have thought that that somehow applied to that particular practice is ridiculous. And, and, and it goes back to a basic understanding, I think, of freedom and liberty. We, we just throw these words around, but uh, liberty was very much tied to responsibility. You didn't have the liberty to go do evil things to your neighbor. You didn't. Your liberty was regarding the responsibilities you had that God had given you. Uh, there, there are certain rights that you should not give up. That's what an inalienable right is. That the rights that you must defend, you're required to defend them. You can't give them up because it's part of your duty to your creator. And so, um, so those are the inalienable rights. You, you have a duty to, to educate your children. You don't give that up. You know, you have a duty to provide for your family. You don't give that up. Even if the state comes in and says you can't and you don't give the, those things up, there's, there's a, you, you can't, there's a barrier there. That's what the whole Bill of Rights was supposed to be about until incorporation. And now it's applied to every state and it's not even about negative rights. It's about positive rights. And we've just turned the whole thing on its head. But the founders would have tied. They never would have conceived of sexual degeneracy being part of inalienable rights. Um, no, no. The, the, the freedom you have to be, be sexual would have been in keeping with the order that God laid down. And, and sexuality is, is part of that. It's fundamental to it. So therefore, we must protect against those things that would challenge that, that would, um, the, the things that would not just compete with it, but contradict it and coarsen society to accept uh, things that would really undermine society. And homosexuality is one of those things. That's how they would have thought about it. There's really no question about that. Um, sake of this podcast isn't to go over all that. I'll give you some historical stuff at the end of this, but the people who are making that argument, man, I, I just don't know what to say. It's, it's just, it's, it's ignorant and, and that's, you know, ignorance can be fixed. That's fine. But I, I've been reluctant to show Christians that are doing this, um, cause they're not, Christians aren't leading this. Um, so, uh, why did I put this one up there? Okay. Well, here, here's just some more examples of it. I don't know that I need to go over all this, but, uh, there's, you know, let's skip this slide. This slide isn't that important. Let's go to this. This is the main argument being used. So James Lindsay uh, put out a tweet that got a lot of likes. And he says this, Pride officially kicks off in 12 days. Okay, so we're talking about June, Pride Month. Here's a preview of a political warfare attack that's coming. Pride versus homophobic Christian nationalism will be a big theme. This unconventional warfare narratives, intercontinental ballistic missile, has already been launched, so you should prepare. Both sides of the dialectic here are fully operationally prepared. The left will attack Christian nationalism by name and rightly think it to be homophobia and anti-LGBTQ hate. That group is excited, excitedly proud of those features and will eagerly prove them right. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure much of this out. This is already happening, so this isn't like predictive or anything like this, I'm just saying this isn't prophetic of something that hasn't happened already. This has happened. Uh, massive polarization that moves centrists, normies, and moderates left, and activists, leftists, will while splitting the coalitions on the right. An activating reaction will follow like clockwork. Tensions will mount to trigger a Charlottesville 2.0 in the battle environment. For those who are curious about Charlottesville, go back to the podcast I did where I um, interviewed Ann Wilson on this. She was there, and she wrote a book on it. It's, a, it's the best book on it. 
And uh, we've been lied to about that, just like January 6th. But but the whole the fear here when you bring up January 6th or Charlottesville is we're going to be caught in a trap that the we're going to go right into the, the net that the left has waiting for us. And they're going to move the narrative uh, for, towards them using the media because the media is all against us. Now, I've said before, we got to be smart. And there were some dumb things that were done both at January 6th and in Charlottesville. But we have to be we, 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 the more important thing to focus on is how corrupt and evil the media is and how they portrayed it in Charlottesville. They portrayed basically it was a bunch of Nazis came and one of them killed someone. Right. That's all you know about Charlottesville. You don't know about the premeditated way in which law enforcement was told to essentially allow a clash to happen between a very small group of uh, of not just it, the few Nazis who were there were outnumbered by all the other people who were there. And there were normal Americans there who just wanted to keep some monuments um, that that group of people was surrounded by a leftist mob, huge. And the police were told to stand down and let the fights happen. They wanted violence for the cameras. I mean, this was this was all and Ann Wilson goes over all this. It's all it's documented. OK. Same thing with January 6th. I mean, all you've heard about January 6th is that a bunch of violent Trump supporters went into the Capitol to try to overturn an election. What you don't know is the vast majority of them were outside. None of them even saw the Capitol. I was one of them. I was outside. I never saw inside the Capitol. And uh, the few who did go in there were confused. They didn't really exactly know what they were doing. Um, there was also an, an Antifa presence. And we've gone over all of this. There was, there was other violent interlocutors bad uh well we'll just say that those people who did not totally agree with the reason for why most people were there at january 6th which was because they thought the election had been compromised there are people who were not in that vein they were there for other reasons they were there to promote strife and and so none of this stuff though um you're gonna hear you're not gonna hear about ray Epps. you're not gonna hear about any about this stuff in the mainstream so we have being smart means disregarding the media's narrative. That's what being smart about this stuff means. It means we disregard it. We don't allow ourselves to believe the media when they report a story. Take it with a grain of salt. If it's mainstream media, they're probably lying to us and they have a very strong agenda. That should be the takeaway from those events. It sh the takeaway shouldn't be, oh, man, we should never assemble again, I guess. I guess we should. It's always going to be a trap. If we ever try to exert power, because then the left is going to do something and it, yeah, well, let's be smart, but we, we just have to understand the situation we're in. The left owns the academies. They own the media. They own art and Hollywood. And so they, they, the, the, in, the centers of influence in this country are owned by the left. Just accept that and don't give it your allegiance. Don't give it, uh, be careful about how much time you even give it. Think about the, and this is why I, I think localism is important. Think about the local institutions you can build that are alternatives to this, where you can focus on actual tangible things that you can get done in the local community. There's, there's people in this audience who are doing that, by the way. Um, try to take away your attention, your time, your resources from these national centers that are controlled by the left and put them back into a local, that, I don't know, I'm, I'm open to other suggestions, but that's the best one that I've heard to fight this. Well, James Lindsay's saying we're, we're going to fall into a Charlottesville 2.0. If what? Well, if, if the Christian nationalists become 
are, are proud of being quote unquote homophobic, uh, according to the definitions of the LGBTQ lobby. Expect a steady media drumbeat of these narratives centered on the Christian reactionary movement. Many have been warning about and expect them to take the bait 100%. People with better sense should prepare and take measures to avoid getting caught up in the negation. So the cooler heads need to stop this. Conservative Christianity will be largely politically nullified if the, in the process. Well, that's been happening for years. There's no, it doesn't take a, a profit to tell us this. Conservatives will be identified as homophobic or homo. The damage is going to, to, this will do to the conservative movement and Christians is astronomical, but it can be mitigated if it doesn't blindside. Let me just say one thing. The whole reason you see this rise in quote unquote Christian nationalism and taking the term as a positive, just like the, the right did with the term deplorables, they took it as a positive, is a mistrust in media and a mistrust in our political system. That's why this is happening. It's happening because people have just come to the end of themselves and they thought, you know, it's not working. Uh, we're not able to um, gain influence playing nice with these people. It's maybe it's time not to play so nice with them. Maybe it's time to be very unashamed about the fact that we're Christians. Maybe it's time to say what we think about sexual perversion. Um, maybe they've they pushed it so far. It's we, we just are, we're going to disregard the bullhorn in our face and we'll take the sacrifices. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's what needs to happen. More of that. More of that needs to happen. Brave people needs to take a stand. Not, Don't buy in this timidity that James Lindsay is trying to convince Christians to operate under, where you, you just, uh, you're afraid all the time that the left is going to do something so, that you, so you don't speak up, so you don't say anything. That is a sure way. That's, a, that's what got us here. Uh, that's a sure way to, to allow that to continue. Conservative Christianity will be largely nullified. Uh, let's see. My assessment is that mainline Christians and conservatives have no idea uh, this narrative is about to and squarely uh, th this missile is to, is going to land squarely in the middle of their camp. I think what he means by mainline Christians is main mainstream evangelicals because the mainline Christians are on the LGBT side. So, but he, he he's not a theologian. Others are eager for it and want to excuse and the excuse to play the dialectical game. That has been set for them. It's already incoming. The reaction side of this dynamic has already been um, working diligently to nullify me and all political warfare analysts as homo among conservatives on this issue. Uh, thoughts and prayers, I guess. I'd watch the reactions to this thread if I were you, too, if you want uh, your ear to the ground on this, just saying. So this is the uh, strategy that's being employed. It's not just James Lindsay, though. You have um, Carlin... Bor Borisenko, uh, who has, I, I don't know to what extent she has a relationship with, but her Twitter account has the background with her with Christopher Rufo and James Lindsay. And uh, she is anti-woke. That's what she's known for, for being anti-woke. And here's just a sample of what she was doing over the weekend. Um, she says, in response to Nate Fisher, who I guess people really don't like Nate Fisher. Nate Fisher says, does anyone doubt that if people like you were in charge, talking about Carlin, uh, you would be any less aggressive than wokes are today about ostracizing Christians. And here's what her response. He, he is an excellent example of why we should absolutely shun conservative Christians from polite society. There are no better. They are no better than the woke left. Guys, this is getting to the root of it. This is someone who is anti-woke, who's associated with Lindsay and Rufo. You know, we're against the woke stuff, but you know what? Conservative Christians should be shunned from polite society. They're no better than the woke. Uh, she says Christians are homophobic. Pass it on. I started warning about how 
woke on the right, uh, woke people on the right two years ago. So now now you're woke, I guess, if you're homophobic and even wrote about how they are dangerous to us in my book, Actively Unwoke. They are exactly what the woke left says they are. Do not align with these people. And this is in response to someone who said Christians are under no obligation to accept homosexuality as a normal part of society. That's it. That's what she's responding to. So apparently we are under that obligation. We as Christians are under that obligation, according to some of the more prominent anti-woke voices. Oh, no, the woke Christians are mad, she says. However will I survive their righteous persecution in the name of Christ, divine love. So now she's mocking Christ. Um, we have uh, Jeff uh, Reynolds, uh, if, if you're hearing me right now and you want to be on the uh, show, uh, go ahead and unmute your mic. As soon as you do that, I'll uh, let you in. Oh, there you are. All right. Hey. Wait, hold on. I should have had my headphones in. Hold on real quick, Jeff. Okay. Can you hear me, Jeff? Yes. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Doing, doing well. Thanks for joining me. I'm sorry I'm late. It's in the middle of a work day. Oh, so you're taking your lunch break. Yeah, you can call it that, yeah. So did, <laughs> you, did a... you have any comments or questions or anything? No, I just you know came in a little late there, but that's actually a very helpful line of um, inquiry because I recently discovered James Lindsay. I mean, not discovered him. I knew about him a little bit, but some of his content I thought was extremely um, helpful and interesting about the Gnostic and Hermetic background of uh, much of what's going on today in the cultural war that we're under, the cultural revolution. And really understanding that is something I, I, I thrive on personally. I think it's important for uh, discerning Christians to know about. But I don't know if you're getting into any of that. This, this anti-woke thing and how they're coming against conservative Christians is really interesting because you know that's starting to show the weakness of having an atheist be a major uh advocate of you know supposedly being anti-woke yeah no i, I couldn't agree more um i think th there is a fear and i haven't delved into this as deep as perhaps i should um and maybe i will soon but the there, there seems to be a an idea that there's this um awakening of some kind like a I think that you just referenced with the Gnosticism and the Hermetic uh, element here that there's this one world religion we're all heading to. And of course, you, if you've grown up in Christian circles, you've heard about this for years, only using different terms. Uh, and that Christian nationalism or Christian, just conservative Christians apparently now are going to be part of this somehow. They're going to usher it in because they're going to usher in some kind of a totalitarian regime. And, and totalitarianism can mean even something like Hey, let's uh, make sure that we don't normalize homosexuality. Let's have some laws against that. Um, that becomes, in their minds, totalitarian. And that becomes then um, a means by which the, the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset people are going to seize control because we're going to give them more authority or something like that. And I mean, it strikes me as odd just because we don't really have a seat at the table right now. Um, when we do have a seat at the table, like we did in the Trump administration, nothing like that was ever even able to be. I mean, the, the best I, I suppose we had it with restricting sexual stuff was uh, the transgender ban from the military. Other than that, I mean, was, we were just trying to preserve what we had. It wasn't uh, a matter of establishing some kind of a new totalitarian order that's going to tell you what you can do in your bedroom. But that seems to be a fear that they have. And, uh, I don't know what to make of it. My, my I, I, there's a sense I get that there's 
um, that, that's, I'm not, I don't want to accuse anyone individually here, but oftentimes when the left would make pro-homosexual arguments, I always I would suspect that it had something to do with their own personal sexual preferences <laughs> and what they wanted to do. And they didn't want anyone cramping on that. And I don't know, I, I see the same thing possibly here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm at least having the same thoughts come to my head. I'm thinking like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> right? Like what, what, what are you doing that you're afraid would be? Cause it, cause it, it seems like an irrational fear to me, but um, I don't know if you're tracking with that, if you see the same thing. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't have too much to add to that. I don't think it's, it's certainly, it's somewhat makes my head spin a lot of this stuff. It, it gets, it gets pretty complicated pretty complex issues, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess the question, you know, this Christian nationalism thing's been coming up a lot and where the discussion's going with that. Um, yeah, as we, we corresponded about that just this morning. And, right. and yeah. Yeah, it was very, very helpful. Um, to, you know, um, Jeff Durbin, I thought was helpful on this because somebody in one of the commenters in your, uh, to your post, uh, posted a video where he kind of, he used the term um, Christian, no, uh, theonomy. Um, Probably theonomy. Post-millennial theonomy, I think it was something. Is it Christian reconstruction or post-millennial theonomy, Christian reconstruction? I don't think he mentioned reconstruction, but okay. I thought that was sort of helpful. And what I was thinking was actually maybe a better term for this. And I, I don't know if this is, I think we're going off, maybe I'm I don't want to go off, to, no, off good. topic. But that a term that you might you know we might want to consider you know using for it is a Christian Christian national identity uh, because it's an it's a, it's a, we we we're talking about an identity we're not talking about nationalism that's the problem with the word nationalism right. is that you know the the left and 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 a lot of people would just you know associate that with fascist movements or um, extreme uh, you know scary uh, dictators and things like that. Right. So, so I think it's an identity issue. It's really a question of like in Durbin's uh, podcast, you know, he mentioned there was this discussion about how no matter what, every, every country or society has to establish, has to determine what, what they consider to be their worldview and their law that they're going to base, what they're going to base their law and their society on. They have to have something. Um, there is just having a vacuum and is just doesn't work um, in the real world. So, our, our, uh, we would be advocating for a Christian point of view, even though, you know, we recognize the majority of people aren't, you know, born again believers, Bible believing, born again, spirit filled Christians, but they, but they can still recognize that this is a, the best um, wisdom in terms of laws, you know, what should be allowed, what should not be allowed. Pedophilia, like, who, you know, they're the advocates for pedophilia are getting the upper hand now. So, you know, they're normalizing that. And that's that's a really good example of how Christian, a, a Christian perspective or a Christian ethical uh, framework might be re might be helpful uh, still in this very post-Christian country. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point, Jeff. Um, yeah, let me let me I'll respond to that. Let me um, let me remove you from the chat. Unless, did you have anything else? Or is that oh, I don't see you anymore. OK, I'm going to. So um, what Jeff just said, I think, is, is important to hear. Um, th this is an actual discussion we should be having. What, what are the best terms? Now, any term we use is going to be attacked. We just have to accept that. No matter what we say, it's going to be attacked. 
um, the national ism. It's the ism part that gets most people, including myself, where I'm like, I don't know. The, I don't like isms. They seem like they're a product of modernity. They're, they're fairly new. They're uh, most isms. And um, the way that this term has been used in the past, I don't care for. So I, I can see that that critique. Um, I think you know someone just put in the chat general equity theonomy. Uh, it might have been what Jeff Durbin was talking about. Here's the thing with that. Um, it's I, I'm, I'm planning on doing a video soon where I'm going to talk about how that's that's important. It's good. I don't know that it gets us all the way there, though. And, there, and, I, and I'll show you an example of that in the end of this video, because um, if you're interested in preserving a specifically, let's say, Anglo Protestant heritage, speaks English, <laughs> Anglo Protestant forms, um, you know, traditions that you grew up with, a certain kind of Christianity that speaks English, then general equity theonomy is 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 a lot more. It's abstract. Um, at least most of the advocates I've read of it, and it's doesn't care about replacement. It doesn't it, it doesn't care what language you speak, or it just all that matters is the ideas in your head. And whether or not you um, subscribe to the law of God, and so not all theonomists are like this, but it, it, you have to add something cultural to the mix of theonomy in order to, I think, get what what we're seeing now the issue to be the the Christian nationalist. That's what the term they're using um, issue. It's something more than a general equity theonomy. Um, and in fact, there's many in that who would not even really like theonomy. They just want to be, I think, as Jeff rightly just point out, they just want to self-identify as Christian. And and so, you know, you could call this a you know, Christian identity movement. You could just I mean, I'm OK with to be honest with you. I say paleo conservative a lot. I'm, I'm OK with good old fashioned conservative Christianity. I guess the problem is that term has been so watered down and the media has so abused it that people they're looking for something newer and better. And so now they're going to Christian nationalists. Well, I, I was fine with the old term, but whatever term you want to use, the concept is we're trying to reinstate a sense of Christian respect for Christianity. And we know that without that, we don't have virtue. And if we don't have virtue, we don't have order. And if we don't have order, we are taken over. These things are connected. The founders understood it. I could read you quote after quote. Uh, George Washington said this repeatedly in both his personal letters. And I think even his first and second, uh, his fail rail address and his first inaugural address, he talks about this extensively, that you must have virtue in order to maintain a free people. If you don't have virtue, you don't have a free people. They will be governed by by a totalitarianism of some kind. And if you don't um, have religion, you don't have virtue. These things are connected. And it's people, unfortunately, it's people like atheists and others who want to be anti-woke, but they're, uh, they want to, they don't want Christianity to have that place. They're, they don't want religion to have that prominence. They, they don't know. It's like, Father, forgive them. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. I'm afraid. Um, and so anyway, um, Jeff made a really great point there. I'm going to, um, cause we only have a few minutes left. I actually have to go around one for uh, another interview. I want to land the plane by giving you some information. I've been leading up to this, uh, for most of the podcast. And, uh, so th th this will be important to you. So, um, I don't know if I have time to play all this, but I'll just, I'll briefly summarize this before we get to the end. Uh, Fox News, according to Matt Walsh, is going LGBT. Um, they are they're they're fully going fully woke on trans ideology. And Matt Walsh says, I've been personally blacklisted from appearing on the network. Uh, he talks about their leaked policy exp uh, that exposes Fox News stance on woke ideology. Uh, Tucker fought against it. He so so anyway, he's saying you stop watching Fox. Fox is not your friend. 
that's happening. That that's supposedly our biggest conservative, quote unquote, media uh, company, right? And then you have this is uh, I, I was going to play a clip. I don't have time. I don't think um, from well, let's just it's short. Let's just do it real quick. This is from Rachel Gilson. She's going to be speaking at the SBC Southern Baptist Conventions um, Pastors Wives Conference uh, coming up. Here's a sample of what she's and I played this on the podcast before. This is from a few years ago, but there's a lot of clips like this from Rachel Gilson. A woman recently in St. Louis who was actually in this. She was in a she was in a marriage to a woman and was processing what to do because she had come to the Lord, but her wife hadn't. You need to recognize in this situation, right, that um, these are some very tender things. And if we just walk around being like, I've got some great ideas, like, you don't know anything. You don't know anything about what this relationship has been like, the joys that it's provided, the heaviness it's provided. Like, we never approach these situations um, with swagger. They might end up making a very big cost. I mean, I've, I've known some people who decide to stay in that relationship legally, but to live celibately, to break off having sex. That has happened with some, with some couples who both come to Christ. I've known some couples where one person came to Christ and decided that in order to honor the Lord, um, he needed to be celibate, and his partner decided, his husband decided to leave him. I mean, Paul talks about this reality in 1 Corinthians 7. Sometimes if a, if a spouse comes to know the Lord, the other spouse can't abide it and they leave. And then that person is, you know, that person is free. Okay, well, that's kind of insane. Uh, from a Christian standpoint, it is. I mean, that's just not at all in keeping with biblical truth, one bit. And this is someone who's speaking at the SBC Pastors Wives Conference coming up. This is the largest. So think about this. The largest supposed uh, conservative news organization, Fox News, is going uh, full LGBT. You have the largest Protestant denomination has this person speaking for them. And this is all happening in real time around us. Now, what would the so it's not just that atheists and people out, you know, in in the more liberal progressive circles, that's what they want. No, this is happening close to home. It's happening close to home. Uh, Jake Starbuck says, unwoke don't mean conservative or Christian. Dave Rubin is unwoke. Ariel uh, Scarsala is unwoke. I'm not sure who that is. Blair White is unwoke. None are conservatives. Well, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. So here's what I've been leading up to. I've wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about the founders. Just briefly. There's so much more that could be shared, but I just want to briefly talk to you a little bit. There's actually a, a little helpful. There's so many resources I have on this, but here's one uh, book. If people want to check it out called Christianity, the only religion constitutionally allowed in these United States. That's a pretty bold claim by John Henry Hopkins. I don't have time to go over his uh, his biography, but it's pretty impressive. And uh, he operated and lived mostly during the federal period. But um, he has a number of ties to American Revolution thinkers, etc. So here's what I wanted to say about this. Uh, not this book. I'm just referencing that as an interesting book. I don't know if I agree with all of it, but it's an interesting book to consider. Two of the arguments, though, he makes are, are this. Um, he, he talks about the oath of office in the Constitution, since that seems to be the one of the big arguments that's going on right now is what does the Constitution actually say? Is, is the con with the founding fathers, the American uh, founding, the Constitution, would those things be OK with homosexuality? Is that part of the inalienable rights somehow, which it's not? Well, here's. And, and I should say favoring Christianity. Is that part of the inalienable rights? 
Here's what the Constitution says. Article 1, Section 3 says, The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments when sitting for that purpose. They shall There shall be an oath or affirmation when the President of the United States is tried. The Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Article 2, Section 1 says, Before he enter the execution of his office, he shall take the following oath of affirmation. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of the United States, um, President of the United States. So in, in both of these, you have uh, the Senate and the President are required uh, for to, to have an oath of affirmation. Here's what William Blackstone says about this. And William Blackstone would have been the most notable, the most, um, I would say, uh, respected and, and oft quoted, uh, probably legal, uh, um, I don't know how I even say it, jurist, I guess, but legal opinion that was quoted during the Constitutional Convention. I mean, they respected William Blackstone. William Blackstone is really the person who most synthesized English common law for us. Very important figure. Here's what he has to say about the oath. And this is the oath that they're talking about in the Constitution. It's the only kind of oath they would have known about. William Blackstone, doubtless the preservation of Christianity as a national religion is abstracted from its own intrinsic truth of the utmost consequence to the civil state. The belief of a future state of rewards and punishments, the entertaining just ideas of the moral attributes of the supreme being and a firm persuasion that he superintends and will finally compensate every action in human life, all which are clearly revealed in the doctrines and forcibly inculcated by the precepts of our Savior Christ. These are the grand foundations of all judicial oaths, which call God to witness the truth of those facts, which perhaps may be only known to him and the party attesting. All moral evidence, therefore, all confidence in human veracity must be weakened by apostasy and overthrown by total infidelity. Wherefore, all affronts to Christianity or endeavors to depreciate its efficacy in those who have once professed it are highly deserving of censure. <laughs> this is William Blackstone on, on the oath. This is the only, look, look the, the picture in the background, George Washington, right? He, putting his hand on a Bible. Is this a religious ceremony? Is this, sa is this uh, sacralism? Is this um, integralism? Is this any of the, or is this an appropriate acknowledgement? And we do, Biden even did it. And we do it all the time to say that may the words that, that I proclaim and the deeds that I do, may they be in a, accountable to you, Lord. That's what it is. It's always been that way. Now, there's that, that's, that foundation's cracking somewhat. Uh, there are people who think that we, can, we don't need to put a hand on any book, or we, which defeats the purpose of an oath. Who are you? <laughs> who's above you that's going to hold you to it? Who, who's the only way that this made any sense was for a people who believed in, as Blackstone said, divine rewards and punishments and consequences if they failed to uphold their oath. That's the only way it made any sense. You think, so, so I pointed out before, I've said, look, the state governments, nine out of 13 had official state religions at the time of the constitution. And I pointed out, if you understand, if you understand a, a federal republic that we lived in and, and we are now not living in as much, but the, the whole intention of the founders was that the uh, center or the um, general government would have much less authority over our lives than state and local governments. And they so they could be explicitly Christian and they could be denominational. 
they did not want the Constitution to be denominational. They didn't want religious tests uh, like ha existed in some of the colonies uh, that would be in keeping with a certain denomination. They didn't want that. But the religious tests existed in the states. You couldn't ascend the ranks in those states, even on the to, to uh, get national office, unless you subscribe to some of these tests. And at the very least, this without the test, this was upheld in society for longer than the tests existed. Uh, I mean, it's still in parts of the South. You got to be a Christian. Uh, and, and you can't. I mean, it's just not done. And this is the world the founders were in. You bet that they privileged Christianity. You bet that 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 even in the Constitution itself, which, as I just described, is not intended to be a document uh, for enacting a, a, any kind of national denomination or uh, trampling over the state religions of various colonies. Even in that particular document, there is an acknowledgement of a form of Christianity, and you find it in the oath. You know, another place you find it in the um, section on common law, the Seventh Amendment in the Constitution in suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20. The right of trial by jury shall be preserved and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States and according to the rules of the common law. Well, let me just give you one little common law tidbit here. Uh, that that may help me make the connection I'm trying to make. William Blackstone, again, says blasphemy against the almighty by denying his being or providence or by uh, man, that's a big word. Uh, contumelia. I can't even say it. <laughs> Contum Elias. Uh, I'm, I'm probably botched that <laughs> reproaches of our savior, Jesus Christ, as well as all profane scoffing at the Holy Scripture or exposing it to contempt and ridicule are offenses punishable at common law by fine and imprisonment or other infamous corporal punishment for Christianity is part of the laws of England. Where did the United States get their laws from England? It's English common law. The difference is they wrote it down. They have a written constitution. That's their major contribution to a political or, or legal thought. The, the British have an unwritten constitution, but having a written constitution was supposed to be a conservative move to say, let's freeze frame this. We can't, we, there's a process if you want to amend it and uh, we can't just play fast and loose with things. That was part of the common law. Um, now, are they explicitly saying that that part of the common law they're endorsing in the constitution? Of course not. It was just assumed that the tradition that they inherited was the common law tradition. And that was baked into the common law tradition. And guess what? Those kinds of blasphemy laws were all over the United States, all over the States and in, in the military, all over the place. In fact, you could go online right now. I'll just do it. I, I'm sure that there are, uh, yeah, blasphemy laws in the United States, Wikipedia even. Um, I don't trust Wikipedia for for a lot of things, but if they have some primary sources, you can look at the primary sources. Uh, yeah, and there's there's a whole list here. <laughs> Massachusetts, Maryland, Maine, Michigan. Uh, it, it goes through all these different states and all and blasphemy laws. I'm sure there's probably a more comprehensive list somewhere else, but uh, let me just read you uh, this one. This is from, this is pre-Constitution. Um, whoever willfully blasphemes the holy name of God and denying cursing or, there it is again, uh, contumulously reproaching God, his creation, government, or final judging of the world, or by cursing, um, or uh, let's see here, I think I lost my place here, or, oh no, or cursing, or they keep using that word, or contumulously reproaching Jesus Christ or the Holy Ghost, or by cursing, or contumulously reproaching or exposing to contempt and ridicule, the Holy Word of God contained in the Holy Scripture shall be punished by imprisonment in jail for not more than one year, or by a fine of not more than $300, and may also be bound to good behavior. Uh, 
bound to good behavior. Th this is just a little sampling. Um, when it comes to sodomy laws, prior to 1962, sodomy was a felony in every single state in this country, punished by a lengthy term of imprisonment and or hard labor. But before 1962, every single state in the entire country. Now, I'm saying I want to go back to all of that. I'm not I'm not saying anything either way. All I'm saying is that to if a Christian says that, you know, I don't know gay marriage seems a little far. I don't think we should publicly we, we, we should maybe have laws against displaying transgender people, uh, prohibiting kids from from seeing drag shows and that kind of thing and being corrupted and groomed. I mean, th these are the debates you're seeing now. Um, I, I don't think that they're, if anything, they're to the left of where our founders would have been. They are to the left. And, and to say that those who hold these views are somehow not being constitutional or they're not in keeping with the founders is ridiculous, guys. It's ridiculous. They're against inalienable rights. Well, so were the founders. I guess we never lived in America then until what, after 1962 or after the Obergefell decision? Then we lived in America. It wasn't America before that. Um, I haven't shown you all the tweets because I don't. I, it breaks my heart too much. But there are Christians out there saying right now that if you have these views in mind, if you uh, think that there ought to be, um, well, I'll just I'll, I'll go to the extremes: blasphemy laws, or if you think that there ought to be uh, some uh, some barrier to sexual degeneracy being platformed publicly, then you are somehow un-american or not in keeping with the founding that's insane historically speaking i'm just saying that it's just inaccurate it's inaccurate i don't want to say those people are insane but i'm saying that's inaccurate it's it's it just doesn't fit the record we have um okay well uh someone just said uh asked the question truddle has michael o'fallon weighed the danger of james Lindsay's gay rights crusade as carefully as he had the christian nationalism label surely he must see the problem there's so much to say about this. I, I had an exchange actually with uh, Josh Bice over the weekend, and I don't think I'm going to share about it here other than to say that um, I responded to him. And in my last sentence to him, I said, look, if, if you can have if, if you can get on a podcast with an atheist because you have common cause, i.e. James Lindsay, if you can ha host him for the G3 podcast and he's an atheist and you, you have something in common. He, his opinion is good enough to share. And I think it is. I think there's, I've even defended that and said, I think there's good things James Lindsay has to say that can be learned from, um, at this point, I don't, I mean, I think we've learned, but, um, okay. You know, uh, th that's fine. But then to say that, but I won't get on a chat with, I won't get on a podcast with Christian nationalists. That, that seems odd to me. Um, because we, you know, Christian nationalists probably agree with Josh Bice way more than James Lindsay does. Who's pro abortion. Who's, pro-homosexuality is, I, I, I see the same thing that you see, uh, Truddle. Um, and, uh, so, um, I got to land the plane cause I'm late for another, <laughs> another appointment that I need to get to. But, um, I just want to say to everyone, look, um, th th this may have sounded to you, to some of you like, man, this is discouraging. This is, uh, th th this is just, we're all divided and, and, and I have to put work into this podcast in, in shielding, um, just basic, I think, concert, not even Christian nationals, just conservative Christians from the attacks that they're incurring by people who are supposedly anti-woke. Man, what's going to happen? Let me, let me just say this. What's going to happen is whatever God wants to happen. And I do think he's judging our country. I, I believe that for a long time. And I don't have like a, a Bible verse to go to. I, I just, I, it's more principles that I'm working off of, of like, well, yes, yeah, it seems like what it would look like if God judged a country. We're on the Romans one slide here. 
And God, though, has a pattern throughout history of blessing and remembering his elect, blessing his people, even in the midst of social chaos. Um, there are 7,000 who have not, not bowed the knee to Baal. There, I think one of the big strategies right now, and, and one of the feelings that I get from people is they feel isolated. Some of them congregate to this podcast because you feel isolated. You want someone who's going to say what you think, but who's saying it, right? There's, there's not many. And you feel like the people you once trusted, so many of them are, are going in the wrong direction. And I would just say that it's, the group is a lot bigger than you think. And even if you didn't have a big group, you have the Lord. The Lord is still, look, you, you, cannot, you cannot go against basic created order for long without destruction. It's not going to work. We just live in the world God made. The world God made is a world in which you have gender. It's a world in which you have um, sex is made for specific purposes and, and, and works a specific way. To step outside of that is against the very order God set up. And the only thing it can bring is grief, misery, tragedy, uh, sin. Um, it, it, it doesn't bear any fruit. And so those who are um, being examples in your local communities, in your churches, in, in your neighborhoods of stability, of, of, of true love, of sacrificial love for one another in the context of a marriage, a, a true family, raising up your children, being a light, you're the hope for the the uh, the next generation. You're the ones who are serving as the examples because everywhere people go, they're going to see that we just have to accept this. They're going to see the other narrative, the opposite side of this. They're going to see Christianity attacked and they're going to see it from, from law, from media, from education, from everywhere. But they cannot stop you from living your life getting married, having kids, going to church, doing the things that you've been doing. And, and, and as the darkness increases, that light's going to shine brighter. People who are at every turn see negative things being said about Christianity are going to look to you and, and say, you know, that's not true. It's not true. I, my friend, my neighbor, my, my coworker, he's a Christian and he's not, he's not like this. <laughs> he's actually, he's really loving. Actually, you know, this is what he's like. And I think this is presenting opportunities. And I, I'm seeing this on a smaller level all over where people who are, are waking up, they're realizing things are going so far and so crazy. We, we got to get back to some kind of an anchor. Where, where am I going to find an anchor? And that steeple is the only thing that rises above the town that, and, and, and the Lord's going to use that. And I realize many churches are also on this bandwagon, but if the Lord's working in someone's heart, they recognize that and he'll get them to the right church. He'll get them to the right community and the right, uh, the people who actually are going to reinforce the truth. So, yeah, this is happening. I'm hoping I can bring you more examples of where that's happening in future podcasts, but don't get too discouraged about these kinds of things. I think this is necessary. This is growing pains. We have to uh, recognize that not just because someone's anti-woke, it's not enough. It's not enough to be anti-woke uh, to form a positive vision for what our world ought to look like. The ought is the important thing here. What ought we to be doing? What ought we to be uh, putting into our laws? What ought we uh, to be living what should our lifestyle be like that kind those questions are important questions and i think that they're going to be answered on the local level more so than these national in fact i i see younger people who are hooked in on on even like tiktok and these kinds of applications um they are there's something interesting going on i can't quite put my finger on it but there's something 
there's a localist kind of undercurrent that I'm seeing. Um, even with the use of the internet, people are starting to get away from the national uh, or, or international multi organizations. And they're looking, they're looking for community because they don't have it. <laughs> they're looking for it in more local settings where they can have tangible, uh, meaningful relationships. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's wholesale, you know, that's a reaction to the fact that we've been cultivating these artificial relationships, but I'm saying that I'm starting to see something kick back against that. I'm seeing it in the, even like the local farmers markets that are popping up all over the place. There, there is a, a revitalization of the local town square that is starting more events, more, I don't know where that's all going, but I think Christianity can be part of this. Um, because that's where Christians have always thrived is in those personal relationships on the local level with a tangible church, with tangible people. So don't get too bothered by these theoretical discussions. We need to have them. We need to talk about what the blueprint ought to look like, but then go build, go build in your local community. And no one can stop you from doing that. Uh, if you live in you know, the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, who's going to stop you from you know, building a church, from revitalizing a church that's that's been uh, abandoned by um, running for public office at, at the local level by enacting policies that uh, favor Christianity, by inviting the pastor to come and give the invocation instead of someone else. Wh who's going to stop you from doing any of these things? None of these social media accounts that have a lot of followers are going to stop you. It's going to be determined by the people in your community. That's where we need to be looking. Okay, so much. <laughs> someone said Arkansas here. Yes, that's. I'm glad it's encouraging to someone. I'm glad that's encouraging. Um, you have much more control over your local environment than you realize. And that's the world that you inhabit the most. So, yeah, listen to podcasts. You know, obviously, this podcast hopefully is good for you. But, you know, make sure that you're investing in the people that are actually tangibly around you. And it's not going to be quite as bleak. Um, it, it seems bleak out there. And things are moving in a bleak direction on an international and a national, perhaps, level, you could say. But um, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, in your in your life at the local level. All right. Well, God bless. Um, keep keep on doing what you're doing, and uh, know that the Lord will bring the the reward. Uh, there is a system of rewards and punishments, as William Blackstone said. More coming later this week. God bless. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.